25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to the Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. Good day. What up? Welcome in. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go! With the home team. Wrapping it up with you this week from the beach. <laughs> Last one. Hope you all have enjoyed it. I have. I honestly have. It's This week has gotten me to thinking that, um, you know, a couple things. One, it, it, you should take vacation with your family and not do any work. That's that's what you ought to shoot for every time. You, me, everybody. That's what you ought to shoot for. Leave work behind, drop it, go on vacation with your family. Sometimes situations don't allow for that. It, you know, it's it, every situation is different. <laughs> and this is one of those where uh, it just didn't work out. Um, it didn't make a lot of sense uh, this time of year for me to take an entire week and not be on the radio after – Making a time change on our flagship affiliate, WRKS, the Zone in Jackson. After making the time change, take a day, a week off wouldn't make a lot of sense, especially leading up to what's going to be uh, some live coverage with this radio show from SEC Media Days in Hoover next week. So anyway, I actually have kind of enjoyed it. Um, <clears throat> it's got me to thinking that maybe in the future we ought to look for ways to connect with vacation spots down here on the coast and maybe come do a radio show and uh, they might sponsor and get the benefit of telling people in Mississippi, hey, come down here. So, Roger, let's put that on the list. You just never know. Um, What I do know is that, uh, yeah, it's wrapping up this week here on a Friday with you, but we got two hours to go and a lot to get to, a lot to get into with you the next uh, couple of hours and before we do get into next week, when we're going to have SEC Media Day starting on Monday uh, from Hoover, you, you don't have any Mississippi teams that are going to take the podium on Monday, but Ole Miss will be there Tuesday. State uh, will be there Wednesday. And throughout the week, you know, the Alabamas and the Georgias and the Floridas and Auburn and teams you're going to play throughout the year. Um, and some quarterbacks there. I think, uh, as we were talking about yesterday, a record. Well, I don't know, record, whatever. You've only got – you've got 14 teams many of the years uh, in the league. You'd have SEC Media Days. You only had 12. And you go back into the late 80s, early 90s, you only had 10. So uh, – but uh, the most quarterbacks tied for the most quarterbacks you've ever had that will be attending SEC Media Days. And so maybe that will – add to a little bit of the interest for you as a listener and fans because that's what we like, right? Quarterbacks get way too much attention, way too much praise, and way too much blame. It's never really um, reality. It's usually kind of one end or the other uh, on the spectrum. So um, 
here this week, wrapping it up. Next week, SEC Media Days, and I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, today, here, we've got two teams to preview on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Because today being Friday, we'll knock out team number 50. Today is 50 days until August the 31st. Tomorrow being a Saturday, the show will not be on because it's the weekend. So we'll go ahead and knock out Saturday's team too, team number 49. So we got two teams today, 50 and 49. Uh, there's some news around the country we're going to get to, uh, a couple thoughts. And I have an idea that I'd like to propose and not that anybody will listen to me that, that could make this change go into effect, but I think uh, we as uh, fans and media and others alike that are interested in college football, sometimes you can spur change just by talking about it, you know, getting a conversation going. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you can. And so I'm going to throw an idea out there and wonder kind of how you feel about it. As always, you can be a part of the show. Y'all can hit me up on Twitter at Radio Wyatt. You can text the show and you can call the Divini Equipment phone line. Divini Equipment in Madison and in Jackson. Your Kubota dealer, the oldest Kubota dealer in the U.S. They've been doing it better longer than anybody else at Divini. Uh, so you can give me a call there on the uh, Divini phone. So uh, a couple of items of news and then I'll, uh, an idea I'd like to throw your way and just kind of see what you Think about it. First, again, news within the last 24 hours in the sports world. Just a couple of things. I know, you know, in our neck of the woods, a ton of Saints fans. We got Saints fans all over the place. Houdat Nation, certainly, uh, it it, um, it it edges its way up into our neck of the woods, no doubt about it. Right now, uh, in the heart of Houdat Nation, we're worried about flooding and Tropical storm Barry and whether or not it's a hurricane and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, so not a lot of people necessarily in, in, that are there in New Orleans worrying so much about football today. But this is Saints news. You may or may not have seen this, but um, this happened on Thursday. Saints rookie defensive end Carl Granderson was sentenced to six months in jail. He, he got the sentence yesterday. A judge rejected the terms of his plea agreement on sexual assault charges. I didn't know a lot about the background here on this situation. Uh, But in reading about it since the decision came down yesterday, what I do know is that Granderson played his college ball at Wyoming, University of Wyoming, and he was facing charges of third-degree sexual assault and sexual battery for an incident he was accused of at Wyoming. It, um, the story at ESPN.com says he was accused of inappropriately touching two women while they slept at his apartment in 2018. So he went undrafted. He has this hanging over his head. It's going to be a court thing, uh, and, and you know, or had it hanging over his head, and he went undrafted. And the Saints brought him in as an undrafted guy. And he was a good player uh, there for Wyoming, a a two-time All-Mountain West guy. And it looked like back in OTAs and stuff that he had a chance to make the Saints roster. He spent some time with the first-string defense 
during OTAs and minicamp. He was uh, praised by the Saints coaches. They gave him a guaranteed 85000 on his salary. That included a $15,000 bonus that was guaranteed to him. And they signed him to a three-year deal at the minimum salary level. So they were they were putting him in a position to make the team. They asked Saints head coach uh, Sean Payton about it back in May, uh, about his situation, Granderson's situation with this impending trial and everything. Um, at the time, Sean Payton said that they felt comfortable with everything they knew. And, quote, so far he's done a good job here. That was back in May. So that's a little bit of the context, the background. And uh, what happened is he's in court yesterday. Uh, he's going to enter the plea deal. It's rejected by the judge. And so he's got to spend six months in jail. Uh, I'll give you a portion here. It kind of lays it out for you on the ESPN article. It said it appeared that Granderson might avoid jail time on Thursday morning when he reached a plea agreement with prosecutors and pleaded no contest or pled no contest to lesser charges of sexual battery and unlawful contact. However, according to the reports by the Casper Star Tribune and others, Judge Tory Cricken rejected the proposed deal of a one-year of, of one year probation and a mental evaluation. So Granderson was ordered to immediately begin serving his sentence. He was led away in handcuffs after talking to his attorney. He was also sentenced to one year in jail on the sexual battery charge, but that's going to be suspended with one year of supervised probation once he has uh, completed six months in jail, and that's according to the report up there in Casper. So if you're a Saints fan, uh, you scratch him off the list. What does it mean for his future? Uh, who knows? It will all have to pick back up after he has served that six months in jail. Uh, there was a one-year sentence, but it will be suspended uh, it'll just have a probationary period that'll uh, last over the course of that one month. So after he, or one year, after he gets out of jail after six months, then he's got a chance. Um, and you have to wonder, I mean, teams and organizations move on. So uh, just wanted to put that in there. I know as Saints fans, it's a name that you probably read about and followed and might have been excited about, someone who was surprising uh, during OTAs off the field. Um, I'm sorry, OTAs in the offseason, but that um, is coming to a screeching halt. So there you go. There's uh, one piece of news. Now, here's another piece of news. It does involve the NFL, but I think it leads to potentially maybe even a bigger conversation about officiating in sports. I don't know if you saw this. The NFL has put its full-time officials program on hold. It's part of an ongoing labor um, discussion, back and forth meetings with the NFL Referees Association. And unless this thing turns around or takes a, a, a you know a different turn here at some point in the conversations, the decision means that the NFL is going to revert back to a way of they used to do things. They had a full roster of officials who were part-time guys. In other words, they had other jobs that they did during the week to make a living. Um, sure, maybe when they you know, had part-time officials, maybe some of those guys might have been retired or were very successful, I don't know, 
lawyers or something like that, and they had it all stacked away and didn't have to work. You know, sure, there there were some of those in there. But also you did have a lot of the guys to make up that full roster of officials when they were part-time status. You did have a lot of them who were working other jobs and, uh, you know, showing up, jumping on the plane on Friday to get somewhere on Sunday. Here's a couple of notes uh, that from an article that's covering it at ESPN.com. It says, first of all, you need to know this. At this point, it will have minimal impact on officiating this season. Most of the additional responsibilities uh, for full-time officials are focused on off-season work. They say that functionally, all officials work full-time once the preseason begins. But what it does signify is a step backward for coaches, players, fans who've been asking the NFL to use every means they can to improve the officiating. This, you know, we had a Saints story. This, I think, directly uh, resonates with Saints fans after what happened in the playoffs last year, right? You know, full-time or part-time, those are calls that can't be made. You can't help but wonder, unless they figure something out, uh, in the future and beyond, what does it mean if the NFL goes back to part-time officials, the non-full-time guys? See, I kind of think that, you know, you know, part of the emphasis to call things in a certain way, the reason I like the full-time part of it for the officials is when that's, when that's what you have, when that's who you are, and that's how you make your living, there's nothing out there you're going to fall back on on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday during the week, you know, and check it in with your assistant back at the office and make sure that, uh, you know, all the invoices were sent out and checks came. I mean, when you're full-time as an official, that's it. It all is about, you know, the job that you do calling those games. And so there's more emphasis on it. There's more emphasis to get it right. So, you have to wonder. And we also know that you go back, uh, when was it, 2012 or was it early? I, I can't remember exactly what year it was. You all might have to remember. We had the uh, replacement officials in the NFL. And you just have to, you know, look back and just try to remember what a disaster that was. You never want to get in a situation where you don't have the best ones out there. You know, and and when you look at, you know, the trickle-down in college sports, you don't have full-time officials. Yes, they spend a lot of time traveling, and they don't have you know nearly as much time to to work at their other, you know, full-time jobs uh, during the college football season. But we're talking about at the highest levels of college football, the SEC and others. These officials are not full-time. They are bankers. They are lawyers. They are successful in some. Uh, area enough so that the schedule and financially it allows them to chase this um, thing of being an official. That's what you have in college. And, you know, frankly, the fact is when they moved to the full-time thing in the NFL, the officiating did improve. It got better. That along with replay. And in college football, I'm not really sure it has really improved that much. 
I think replay has given them the ability at times to, number one, be sure of something, and fans as well, but number two, also correct things. You know, it's true in college football. Things get overturned. I don't know what the numbers are, the percentages. They get it right a lot uh, on on certain plays. They get it wrong a lot, too. It's it's just hit or miss. I don't know that there's necessarily a a ratio that you can live and die by when it comes to replaying calls in college football. But because every crew is different, every game is different, the ball bounces funny. But when they put in replay, sure, okay, it, it gave us at times fans you could be confident in certain calls and then the ones that you knew had got had been blown, they could actually go in there and uh, correct that. My thing is this, and this is the idea I mentioned earlier as we started the show. This is my idea. I say it's my idea. It's a basic thing. Every you know, People kick this up every now and then and talk about it. But on scoring plays in college football, why not allow those – anything about a scoring play to be reviewable. Okay, again, scoring plays. I'm not talking about plays that start in the red zone. I'm talking about plays that directly put points on the board. And what about if we're talking about scoring plays, what if a a flag is thrown during a touchdown play in a college football game why not make that reviewable also? Now, a flag for, say, holding. You know, that's the most subjective thing and penalty and call you can have in football is whether or not something's holding. And, and I know that if we say everything's reviewable on a scoring play, you know, that brings that into the realm of possibility. You know, maybe at that point you could say you in, in regards to holding – you can't challenge that holding occurred, but you can challenge if holding is called. You can challenge that and make sure they review it to see that they got that call right. And I'm just talking about scoring plays. All right, so here are the re- here is replay and how it's used in college football right now. Penalties, you can review and replay targeting. Blocking by the kicking team before its players are eligible to touch the ball on an onside kick. You can review a player going beyond the neutral zone kicking the ball. This is like on a kickoff or whatever. You can review the number of players the team has on the field. You can replay a player making a forward pass or forward handoff when he's past the line of scrimmage. Or after a turnover, a forward pass or forward handoff. And you can review illegal touching of a forward pass or a kick. But other penalties, holding, pass interference, that kind of stuff out in the field during the game, you can't review that. You can't challenge it. Most of the reviews are initiated by the officials. You know, they say, you know, okay, they know the play's reviewable, and they're going to go to centralized replay and watch it and make sure they got it right. They can, the officials can initiate that. And then the college head coaches can make challenges just like in the NFL. But every team gets one challenge, and if you are successful in your challenge, you get another one. It's like you get it back. If you're a coach, you got to call timeout 
So it means you have to have timeouts to begin with to challenge a play. So you got to call timeout and then issue the challenge. If you're successful, you get the timeout back, you get the challenge back. If you're not, you lose the timeout, your challenges are up. You get one per ball game. But if you're going to use part-time officials, number one, and you have spent all this money to put in the camera angles and pay people and have centralized replay, both on-site but then connected to centralized replay, why not make the most important plays in the game reviewable? All of it. Yes, I'm talking about if it's a touchdown play and there's a flag thrown for a block in the back and you don't feel like it happened, the coach has the ability to call timeout and challenge that flag being thrown. (laughs) It's a scoring play. It's directly affecting points on the board or not. And don't tell me about pace of play. I agree pace of play when the ball is on the 20, when it's at the 50, when it was a five-yard pass that went incomplete. (laughs) Play the next one. But on plays where the ball is actually scoring and going into the end zone, I think that it ought to be reviewable, anything about that play. And and initiated by the officials. Sure, not just the coaches. That's what I think. If the officials want to review something about a scoring play, just anything about it to make sure they got it right, man, review it. What do you think? Make everything about scoring plays reviewable in college football. Until you get full-time officials, I say why not? Stick around. on the show. Yeah, I'm here. I let the music go a little long, didn't I? <laughs> I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. Local agents, competitive rates, fast and friendly service. That's what you get at Farm Bureau. It's what you ought to get everywhere, but it is what you get at Farm Bureau. Deal with somebody one-on-one. In many ways, that local Farm Bureau agent, he's your hometown hero. Somebody who's on the spot from right there. Knows you, knows others in the community. Knows how it goes (laughs) in your neck of the woods. And that's what you get with, uh, with Farm Bureau. So, the countdown of 100 teams is continuing. Today is 50. Halfway. You think about it. 50 days ago, we were sitting in the press box above first base at the Hoover Metropolitan Stadium at the SEC Baseball Tournament. That was 50 days ago when this countdown of 100 teams began. Now, we are halfway there. We're 50 days from August the 31st 
There will be some college games the week before, the weekend of the 24th, but everybody's going to put the ball on the tee by August the 31st. And around here, that's why we're counting it down to theirs because that's when our teams are going to begin. So let's do it. Team number 50 today from the SEC. Dynamite. Remember that show, J.J.? Good times. Dynamite. Dynamite is Vanderbilt's fight songs. Good song. The Vanderbilt Commodores. What do we need to know about uh, Vanderbilt? They're going to start the season in 50 days at home in Nashville by hosting Georgia. Nobody will give Vandy much of a chance, but they're going to host him. Vandy's going to have uh, a new quarterback. We just don't know who yet. They're going to have one of those preseason battles uh, with a couple of guys in the mix. We talked about that some a couple of weeks ago. Week two of the season, after hosting Georgia, Vandy will hit the road and go to Purdue. So the out-of-conference Power 5 opponent this year for Vanderbilt is Purdue. It's on the road and it's uh, in week two. And then week three, September 21st, Vandy will come back home to Nashville and host LSU. <laughs> so, heck, man, there's no easing into this schedule. You look at some of the others, like, you know, State, for instance. State has a bunch of non-conference games early and home games, four straight home games. One of them is the Power 5 non-conference, but Kansas State comes to their place. There's no easing into this schedule for Vanderbilt. It's Georgia right out of the gates in 50 days. It's on the road at Purdue, who was a bowl team. I believe Purdue won their bowl game, didn't they? I know they played in, what, the Music City? And then week three, back home and host LSU. Dad, gum it. Week four, Northern Illinois, non-conference, a very winnable game for Vanderbilt. And that'll be, um, you know, basically the first month of the year. First four games up through September 28th. Then they jump into their October schedule, the middle portion of the season. They uh, Vandy will begin October with a trip to Ole Miss in Oxford. Then they get a couple of home games. back to For the first time of the year in the middle of October, they'll have back-to-back home games. They'll host UNLV and Missouri. But then it'll be beginning the month of November with back-to-back road games. They have to go to South Carolina and Florida in consecutive weeks they get Kentucky at home this year in Nashville uh, they'll they'll play East Tennessee State the next to the last week of the year and the rivalry game for them with Tennessee is at Tennessee this year uh, in in uh, Knoxville on uh, November 30th so that's a look at the schedule for Vanderbilt you know all the projections out there you know you you could do it yourself just look at who they should and shouldn't beat. Teams like Georgia and LSU, they're not supposed to beat them. Probably not going to. Stranger things have happened. But uh, teams like uh, Northern Illinois and East Tennessee and some of the other non-conference things, they are going to win those. You can you can pretty well rest assured they'll find a way to win those. But there's some toss-ups in there, frankly. The Ole Miss game on the road, the Tennessee game on the road. If those games were at home for them in Nashville, who knows? They might even be favored in some of those, just depending on how the year goes. And 
so a five-win, six-win season, I mean, that's kind of where Vandy perpetually has been. Uh, not only under Derek Mason, but other coaches. And that's just year in and year out in the league. They've got those four non-conferences. Now they're going to have one power non-conference. And for them, it really comes down to can you beat Kentucky, Ole Miss, or Tennessee? Some combination of those. Pair them with the non-conference wins and get to six wins. That's kind of where it is for Vanderbilt, and that's where it's going to be again this year. You know, you look at what they did last year. Really, the the high point of their season last season was in November. Now, they could have, should have, would have. You know, they played well last season against Florida at home in the middle of October and lost that game by 10, but were up some and really played well. Maybe, you know, had a chance, but Florida was just better. They lost a, you know, a hard-fought, tough road game at Kentucky. It was 14-7, to that final score in that game. They gave themselves a chance. But the high point of Vandy's season last year, it definitely was in November when they beat Ole Miss in overtime in Nashville, 36-29, to overtime game. And the very next week, they turned around and hosted Tennessee and just throttled them. Beat Tennessee last year 38-13. to You know, Vandy has had success in that series recently. Um, how, how many times is that? Is that the last two trips? I think it is. I think it's the last two trips to Nashville for Tennessee. They lost them both. It seems like in between two years ago, Vandy – Whip Tennessee in in Knoxville. I'd have to look it up. But I think uh, they've had some success there in that series um, recently, which we've never really seen anything like it. It tells you a lot about, you know, the job I think that Derek Mason is doing at Vandy. It's a pretty steady job. They don't have the players that everybody else has, but he's doing a steady job. But it also says a lot about just, just how rock-bottom Tennessee has been. Nowhere to go but up. Here recently, I still can't get over it. It's one of the funniest, the best thing on the internet in the last couple of years is when they beat Tennessee in, no- in Nashville a couple of years ago, and uh, and the Vandy fraternity guys were out on the front lawn having a hoedown as the Tennessee fans had to drive off campus. <laughs> Yeah, they dancing around, doing a little square dance out on the lawn uh, in the middle of the night out in front of the fraternity house to Rocky Top <laughs> as the Tennessee fans had to leave campus. <laughs> and um, somebody filmed it, and the song would end, and they'd all stand around and scream, what's next, what's next? And then the song would just start over again. And because they were stuck in traffic, a lot of the Tennessee fans had nothing there's nothing they could do but just, you know, look out the window and maybe laugh. <laughs> That's about all they could do. All right. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Staying connected to you because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi. C Spire, customer inspired. Y'all stick around. Smoke on
the show. I'm Matt. Live in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go! With the home team. Been talking out the side of my neck for a week from the beach. (laughs) So wrapping up beach week here on the show with you. And looking ahead to next week, SEC Media Days in Hoover, Alabama. On Monday... This show will return to taking your phone calls live. And there will be uh, some guests and things like that. You'll hear the commotion of SEC Media Days. We'll all just kind of jump in and see what it sounds like. So that's all coming up. You can communicate with me anytime around the clock. Just send me a tweet. I'm Radio Wyatt on Twitter, at Radio Wyatt. And you can text the show, 885-ESPN. And can call the Divinity Equipment phone. That's how you call me. Always love to hear from you on the Divinity phone. 995-1059. Divinity Equipment in Madison and in Jackson. Your Kubota dealer uh, in the area. They're the oldest Kubota dealer in the U.S. And I've told you this before. But, you know, you're not in business that long unless you're doing something right. And they've been doing it better longer than anyone else. At Divini. Okay, so speaking of Twitter, I popped this out there, the previous discussion, about you know college football officiating at part-time officials. Why not make everything about scoring plays reviewable, even a flag being thrown? Why not? All right. Scoring plays. I didn't say everything. I didn't say make everything reviewable. I said scoring plays. The one shady, you know, gray area thing would be holding. I'm not saying on a scoring play, allow a coach to challenge and say that holding occurred. But if an official throws a flag for holding on a scoring play. If the coach feels like or the booth looks at it and thinks that's it didn't that's kind of bogus, review it. Why is holding supposedly some I don't know, some ghost call that it is so tricky that we can't take a look at it with our eyeballs in slow motion to see if it happened or not? I mean, it's a call. Okay, and all I'm saying is scoring plays. Anyway, I got uh, some responses. My dad, in fact, uh, Joe Wyatt, 
he tweeted back at me, and I, he said, I'm totally for this. It seems to me the only opposition would be from those who expect the benefit regularly from bad officiating. I won't call names. <laughs> Here's what I said about it on Twitter. Regarding pace of play, sure, in other situations, but on plays that directly affect the scoreboard. While using part-time officials, it absolutely makes sense to allow everything about scoring plays to be reviewable, even flags thrown. And it'd be a good use of a coach's single challenge. He only gets one anyway. And it'd be the same gameplay as any other challenge for an official because, I mean, for a coach, you got to decide, is this a worthy use of my challenge? Because if I use it right now in the first quarter, then it's gone. But, yeah, I have in mind that play that happened last year in the Mississippi State-Alabama game where Fitzgerald swings one out there to Kylan Hill, who made a fantastic run and dive into the end zone for a touchdown before halftime. But a flag was thrown for a phantom block in the back against State. Uh, the, The block in the back didn't happen. I mean, he just didn't even touch him. There was no contact. It was a complete blown phantom call. He thought he saw something. He threw the flag he didn't see. Replay showed it that it didn't happen. And that official, because a lot of people, including myself, actually kind of didn't throw a fit but just kept pointing it out and made the point, look, this is a a blown deal here. This is bad. And what you can't do at any high-level organization – as people go out, they don't do their job, or they screw something up bad enough, you can't run them back out there the next week, let them do it again. There might be a cooling off period. I'm not saying fire them. But they, that official was pulled from officiating games the next week. Well, actually, I think it may be the last two weeks of the year he didn't officiate. In fact, after that Alabama State game last year, that particular official was on the crew for the Auburn-Georgia game the very next week, so much so that his name was even on the docket And on game day, they had to correct it and put the correct name of the official in there because that guy had been pulled from the crew. So some measures were taken. They didn't want to blast the guy out on front street and put it to a point where he could never officiate another game. And and after cooling off myself, I kind of understand that. At the time, I thought it was gutless. But that's just one example. And what I'm saying is, no, everything out in the field, you don't want all of that to be reviewable. But scoring plays that directly affect the scoreboard make everything about it challengeable and make everything about it reviewable. I think it ought to be considered. All right, I wanted to mention to you one thing here. Some inspiration for you going into the weekend. I saw this on Facebook, an image on Facebook of Jim Thorpe in the 1912 Olympics, the Jim Thorpe, arguably the one of the greatest athletes of all time, gold medal winner, Jim Thorpe, Native American. You look closely at this photo that circulates of, of him at the 1912 Olympics. He's wearing different shoes and socks. The post that I saw on Facebook said, it's not a fashion statement. In the 1912 Olympics, an American Indian from Oklahoma representing the U.S. in track and field. And on the morning of his competition for the 1500, his shoes were stolen. 
So he ended up finding a couple of shoes in a garbage can. And that's the pair that he wore in the photo. One of those shoes was too big, though, so he had to wear an extra sock. And that's why his socks don't match. And that day, wearing found shoes and one bigger than the other, he won two gold medals, including in the 1500 the mile. And what the Post said is, it's a perfect reminder that you don't have to resign to the excuses that have held you back. So what if life hasn't been fair? What are you going to do about it today? Stolen shoes, ill health, failed relationships. Don't let it stop you from running your race. So I liked it. I shared it. Love the photo and the story. But then you start thinking, is it real? Is that one of those social media things? Is it, did it actually happen that way? So I started researching it. And in fact, it is a true story. Now, one of the historians who even wrote a book um, about Jim Thorpe, his name is Bob Wheeler. He wrote Jim Thorpe, the world's greatest athlete, the biography. He talked to 200 people who knew him or were related to him, to Jim Thorpe. And according to Wheeler, the writer of the book, yes, minutes before the start of the 1,500-meter race, part of the decathlon, his shoes went missing, taken out of his bag. It's a true story. Now, one of the shoes was given to him by a teammate. A teammate had one extra shoe. He did find the other one. And he did put on an extra sock underneath one of the shoes because the other shoe was bigger. So the absolute fact of the matter, the historical fact of the matter on this is that One of his gold medals was one wearing shoes that didn't match, that didn't belong to him, one given to him by a teammate, one he found in a trash can. The story goes that he didn't find it in a trash can. His trainer did, and they put two socks on one one foot and only one on the other to make sure the shoes kind of fit the same uh, way. And he went out. And one dominated the 1500 in unmatched shoes and one bigger than the other. Yeah, and so I think the message does apply. What's our excuse? What's your excuse? You know, and what else it says to me? You know, if you're, if Jim Thorpe were really focused on what he looked like <laughs> and what kind of shoes he was wearing, if he felt like those things made the difference in whether or not he could win, then he probably would have sulked and pouted about it and been upset, and it probably would have affected his uh, performance. But, you know, a guy like that, <clears throat> I think he would have run the, the race barefoot, don't you? And part of it is because you just love to run so much. You just love to race it's maybe not as much about you're not there as much about the outcome as you are the fact that you get to do it <laughs> the journey you couldn't have you know you couldn't have cut his toes off and kept him from running that race he was going to run it it wasn't necessarily all about winning it it was about getting to run the race i just love the story i saw it last night i wanted to share it with you here On a Friday, Jim Thorpe, an interesting guy.
Hour two of the show coming up. Stick around.